Two books have recently been published by the School of Health and Social Studies at the University of Warwick on the controversial issue of domestic violence. Ravi Tiari's book is called Violence Against Women in South Asian Communities. Donna Chung's book is called Domestic Violence Working with Men. They both join me now to discuss this difficult issue. Donna, what kind of behaviours are we talking about when we use the term domestic violence? I think what people um, mostly understand as domestic violence is the use of physical violence. So one partner in a relationship being physically violent to another. So there's a good understanding in the community that that exists. And that's often what people understand as domestic violence. But increasingly, what people are beginning to understand is that it includes more than physical violence. So it's things like psychological abuse, sexual violence and abuse, uh, put-downs, emotional abuse of people, as well as things like economic abuse and sort of social isolation so that gradually people become isolated from family and friends and their support networks. So when you say economic abuse, what do you mean by that? So often what that might mean is if people, if particularly if, say, only one person's working, that they're not equitable in sharing the resource, the financial resources in the family. They don't give the person enough to, say, buy food, to live on, etc., uh, they might have all of the banking in their name so that the person can't get access to any of that, mortgages in their name, houses in their name, things like that. So if the relationship does break down, one of the parties is in a very difficult situation financially. Ravi, can I just ask you, how prevalent is domestic violence in the UK and how does it compare to the global picture? Well, I think violence against women, of which domestic violence is a part, is a worldwide problem. It's recognised as the leading um, cause of death worldwide for women aged 19 to 44 years old. So it, it's a big problem um, and, and it's a global problem. It's also a major health and social welfare cost in the UK, estimated at around 23 billion a year. So, you know, so from I think from recent research that's been done, it, it shows us the extent and the cost of it, not only in the UK but also across the world. And is that cost that you mean by healthcare costs, people going to hospital, that kind of thing? It, it includes everything, so if, if you're looking at the costs to social services, to the health system, to the police, to the judiciary, um, so it cuts right across our major, major statutory services. And in terms of the extent of um, domestic violence, the estimates across a number of research projects show that one in four women experience domestic violence at some point in their lives and it is a gendered issue. If we look at um, the British Crime Survey, superficial analysis of that shows that interpersonal violence, in terms of interpersonal violence, 13% of women and 9% of men were subjected to at least one incident of domestic violence in the past year. However, when we look at the frequency of attacks, the range of forms of violence and the severity of injury, then women are overwhelmingly the most victimised. So then we see that of those subjected to four or more incidents, 89% are women and 81% of all incidents were attacks on women. So I think, I think we have to recognise the extent of it, but we also have to recognise that it is a gendered problem. And are many of these attacks repeated? Do you find that if, if somebody has been a victim of domestic violence once, will they become a victim again? The government and, and the Home Office, particularly in the UK, has had a huge emphasis on repeat victimisation and trying to address repeat victimisation. I think what we have to recognise is that 
women are repeatedly victimised. Uh, women might be victimised over a number of years before they even seek help. And even after they seek help, sometimes the violence can escalate unless there are effective ways to address violence of that particular perpetrator. So, so there's always going to be a large percentage of women who experience repeat victimisation, yes. Donna, just to talk a little bit about your book, Domestic Violence Working with Men, that explores the responses to domestic violence. Why do you think domestic violence is so prevalent? I think that that's an interesting question because one of the things that, that people tend to think is that it's a modern phenomenon, so it's related to the breakdown of the family or this or that, that or the other. But what we'd argue, definitely from research, is that it's really only been recognised for the past 30 or 40 years. So it's only had a name for those mm -hmm. times. So it did actually go on you know, for centuries before that as well. And I think one of the reasons that it, it does continue to be quite prevalent in the community is we still have a long history of very narrowly defined cultural scripts that men and women are expected to live by and are assessed by in terms of the sort of social assessments people make of them so that there is um, a continuing sort of expectation around gender which I think does tend to privilege men around kind of the importance of them having control in a relationship and being in charge etc and I think that that leads to relationships being unequal and in a lot of circumstances, those relationships becoming abusive so that it might involve, as I said, physical violence before, but also it might be a lot of psychological abuse and the woman believing that she can't live without that man and that she's not a particularly good wife, etc. So I think there's a lot of controls in place which keep people in abusive relationships. I think one of the problems is that people often don't recognise their relationship as abusive mm. until quite a long period of time, and that's understandable. I think also that the community doesn't really respond to domestic violence in a serious way at all times. Obviously, there's a, a very detailed response when people are in crisis and things are severe, but often the community puts things down to fighting between couples or marriages are difficult or whatever that might be. So there's often a lot of overlooking, I think, that the community wants to do when it comes to domestic violence, which doesn't encourage people to come forward and get help for it. So um, you think a lot of people, say, if, if they live next door to somebody and they're suspected there's domestic violence, they're reluctant to get involved? I think people, especially initially, are reluctant to get involved. I think they are sometimes more likely to get involved if there's children around and people mm. are worried more about the children, whereas I think sometimes there's a view that, oh, well, she's an adult, she can look after herself, or she makes her choice to, to do that, or she enjoys that. So those kind of myths about domestic violence can discourage people from getting involved. Okay, and what kind of treatments are out there for people who commit domestic violence? Male perpetrator programs have been around for probably about 20, 25 years now. And a lot of those programs are based on trying to work with men to individually take responsibility for the violence and abuse that they perpetrate. And I guess the good programs are trying to offer men alternative ways of being in relationships that are quite healthy and much more equal in terms of gender, which is a really important aspect to it, that we don't just work on the violence and abuse, but we actually offer people alternative ways of being in relationships that are healthy. I think one of the problems with the programs historically is that people tend to focus on physical violence, and so they've often put men into what's called anger management programs. And anger might be one element that some men who are in domestic violence relationships have a problem with, 
but it's more than that. It's about psychological abuse and control, being overly jealous, etc. So just an anger management program on its own isn't seen as being effective. Domestic violence programs are, are only as good as the services that are around to support women and children as well. So it needs to be a whole of community response. And you need men who are willing to make those changes, which often there's not consequences for men continuing to use domestic mm. violence, which makes it very difficult for men to want to change and makes them resistant to change. Just to pick up on that again, really, how likely is somebody to change? I think one of the things that we know from the domestic violence program research is that physical violence is often one of the easiest aspects of violence and abuse to change quite quickly. Mm -hmm. So we can often get results where we can offer men alternatives rather than physically using violence against somebody. But issues around psychological abuse, control, extreme aspects of jealousy are far more difficult to change with people, I think, and they're much more ingrained. And they're, from what women tell us, they're very much more the severe effects that women face too. So women will talk about the bruises heal, but the sort of psychological scars or the mm. things that, the put downs you remember. So being told that you were stupid is something you remember for 30 years, whereas the bruises will heal. So I think trying to change those deeply embedded psychological abuse and emotional abuse are, are really quite difficult. And only a few men really make significant changes in that regard. So Ravi, your book focuses on violence against women in South Asian communities. Why did you choose to explore this particular area? Okay, I think violence against women in South Asian communities is located within the wider discourses of race, ethnicity, religion and cultural differences. And it's this interplay that the book brings to the fore as it raises particular issues for South Asian women in, in such situations. The um, book has two key messages, really. The first of those is uh, the importance of seeing South Asian women not just as victims, because there's a 30-year history of activism, of challenging not only wider racism, but also the particular patriarchal practices in South Asian communities, which create contradictions for South Asian women. So that's, that's kind of the first of the key messages. The second one is, it kind of underlines the importance of violence against South Asian women not simply being a special case or that those communities being particularly more violent than others. And I think, I think what the book argues is that it has to be seen as part of a wider problem, but that there are specific issues also within those communities with regards to violence against women. So issues such as forced marriage or honour-based violence, which have gained quite a lot of prominence. However, above all, there are huge issues and challenges for policy and practice in responding effectively to South Asian women. And it's really that that the book seeks to inform um, thinking around. So the thinking of policymakers, of funders and of practitioners in urging them to consider the complexity of South Asian women's experiences of violence. What about other ethnic groups? In your experience, are there different attitudes to domestic violence for other groups? Um, well, the book is specifically focused on South Asian women, um, but, but we have done research on other groups of minority ethnic women. And I think what a lot of the wider research tells us is that domestic violence, um, you know, cuts across issues of ethnicity, issues of um, class and so on. So I think, I think there are commonalities 
you know, huge commonalities across different ethnic groups. Now, what, what we could argue is that within particular communities that are kind of minority communities in the UK, there might be a kind of, of a greater need, you know, perceived need within that community to, to kind of fall back on particular attitudes around women and men's roles. And, and that might be part um, in response to the way that those communities are perceived and, and represented within, within the UK. So there are some practices and the misuse of practices, um, you know, such as forced marriage, such as possibly honour related kind of crimes that some sections of the communities might use to justify um, forms of violence against women, women and girls in, in particular. I think it becomes really, you know, we kind of land ourselves on dangerous territory when we try to particularise particular mm -hmm. forms of violence against women in certain communities. Because I think, I think if the argument is that, that it's motivated by the need to have power over and control over, you know, certain members of society, i.e. women and children, then, then the justifications for that might be might be different across communities, but the motivation is similar. It's about having power and control over others. Um, so I think, you know, I think there are particular manifestations and, and, and policy and practice responses have partly begun to address that. But I think, I think it's also quite dangerous to only focus on those and isolate those mm. forms from, from other, other wider manifestations of it. So it's a little bit of a long-winded response to that, to your question, but I think it's difficult to say this form of violence and abuse takes place in these communities against women. And of course, you know, the UK has communities here, recent, more recent migrants who face particular forms of persecution and, you know, horrific forms of sexual violence in the countries of origin. So, you know, a lot of the refugee and asylum seeking groups mm. of women you know, have a particular history. And the challenge, I think, for us in the UK is how do we, as policymakers, as funders, as practitioners, re respond effectively to those experiences rather than labelling particular communities as more kind of deviant in this respect than others? And if I could ask you both in turn, starting with Donna, to what extent do you think these behaviours are sometimes learned? I think that... Um to just rely on social learning theory is, is a bit too simplistic because what we know from um, our research with men and other people's research is that a lot of uh, young men and young women who grew up in situations of domestic violence will speak against domestic violence very strongly and will have in fact a, a much more uh, stringent view about the importance of healthy relationships for them when they're in adolescence and older relationships. I think there is that group who feel very strongly opposed to that. And I guess there's another group for whom they do go on to be part of uh, relationships that are violent and abusive. And I guess it's important to say that I don't think women particularly choose violent partners. So I think that people don't think, oh, this will be an unhealthy relationship, I might have that. I think that it is more complex than that. And that often people are quite vulnerable if they've maybe grown up in a violent and abusive home. And people can pick up on that and sort of play play on people's vulnerabilities which could put them in a very kind of abusive situation so I think there's a lot of complex factors going on and then I think for men growing up in those situations who end up using violence and abuse often it might be 
because it's partly a learned behaviour and also, I guess, importantly, it's been seen as being effective in that moment in time in that it, it controls the woman, it, it, it scares her, it gives them control in that moment. So they know that, you know, in that time, it, it's quite a powerful, effective way of behaving. Ravi, what are your thoughts? Um, I think I agree with Donna, really. I think, I think it's a part explanation. Uh, but I think the issue that it raises for us in terms of how do we respond then to that is is something I think the government has recently you know started to grapple with in terms of looking at doing some kind of awareness so-called prevention work with children and young people in schools and I think the important issue is to look at early intervention so to look at those um, children who are growing up in in abusive situations and we know there's a huge impact on children of either witnessing or being directly abused in in domestic violence um, situations so I think I think we need to think about rather than kind of sort of focusing more on the explanation and trying to sort of advocate you know this notion that if you grow up in something then then you're likely to reproduce it yes some might and we know that others don't but it's about early intervention and as far as I know and as far as I'm aware that there is very little out there for children and young people mm. um, so if, if they are frustrated if they do feel angry about the situation and they feel helpless to do something about it sometimes that expresses itself in frustration um, in relation to others however if we provide a context where some of those issues can be addressed you know, I'm pretty certain that some of those issues can be tackled at a very early stage. So I don't think it's some something that's inherent in mm. people, that if you grow up in a situation, you're going to grow up um, to be like that, and somehow you're kind of programmed that that's how it's going to happen. I think the challenge for all of us who are committed to ending violence against women is, is to look at where the opportunities are and where we're getting it right, but more importantly, where we're getting it wrong at the moment.